This week and next week, we are closing out our sermon series, The Call to Be a Courageous Christian, in which we've been exploring how Jesus's Sermon on the Mount helps us understand better the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its application to life in our own time. A major theme in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is that followers of Jesus are called to live with greater righteousness. Righteousness can be defined as living in accord with divine or moral law. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sums up the law that we are to live in accordance with in Matthew 7:12 as, In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Last week, Kent spoke about this summation of the law. He pointed out that Jesus states the law in positive terms rather than in the negative terms that other religious teachers have taught, such as the maxim, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. Jesus's positive framing in everything do as you would them do to you calls for greater righteousness from his followers. As Kent pointed out last week, one can fulfill the negative requirement requirement of the golden rule by simple inaction. It is far more challenging to go out of one's way to help and care for other people. Today in our scripture reading, we will hear Jesus explain that the way of greater righteousness is a more difficult way to live, but is ultimately more rewarding. The scripture in Matthew picks up immediately after Jesus has said, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Then, Jesus lays out in very clear terms that to follow him, one must choose the harder path. The verses we will hear today are part of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus commands his followers that it is not enough to hear his words, they must do them. Speaking of the harder path, today is Palm Sunday, so I have also included in our scripture readings a reading from later in the Gospel of Matthew, which details Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, leading up to his crucifixion. As you listen to our two scripture readings, ponder the idea that on this first Palm Sunday, the crowds hailed Jesus as a conquering hero. Yet Jesus himself chose the narrow and more difficult road that led to him laying down his life. Let's listen as the scripture is read. Our first reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide, so many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult, so few people find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. 
Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. He sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said, Say to daughter Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? they asked. The crowds answered, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Christians frequently operate under two big misconceptions. One is to assume that their faith is only about their own individual self and their personal relationship with God. Two is believing that to confess Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior is all that is required for getting into the kingdom of heaven. Well, hearing Jesus's words today from the Sermon on the Mount should bust those misconceptions right up. Might be hard for some of us in our individualistic, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps American culture to stomach that anything about our salvation would depend on anyone but ourselves. But Jesus is crystal clear in the Sermon on the Mount that we are all in this together. Yes, the vision that Jesus lays out for life as a Christian in his Sermon on the Mount shows us that Jesus expects our faith to be actively about our relationships with other people and with God, and that our own salvation depends on how we treat other people. If you've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount these past few weeks, you know that Jesus instructs his followers on how to live in relationship with one another and with God, and he sets up no easy task. The Sermon on the Mount is full of really hard commands like, don't be angry with your sibling, make friends with your opponents, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give to anyone who asks you, love your enemies and pray for people who persecute you, don't worship money, don't worry, don't judge people, trust God. 
pray for God's kingdom to come and live as if God's reign is here now. The scripture we heard for today comes as Jesus is concluding his sermon. He is encouraging his followers to keep those commandments as he has laid before them, even if it's hard. Let's go through Matthew 7 verses 13 through 23 point by point. First, Jesus exhorts his followers that there is only one way to follow him, through the narrow gate. He says, go go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide, so many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult, so few people find it. In Jesus' metaphor about the narrow gate, The gate is narrow because it requires for everyone who goes through it to give up everything in their life to God. If you want to fit through that gate, you can't take anything with you of your own. You have to turn everything over to God. Second, Jesus knows that the way through the gate is exceptionally hard. There will be others who will preach an easier path that will be very tempting. It's easier than the one that Jesus teaches us to follow. But those people are not preaching the way to the kingdom of God. They are like wolves in sheep's clothing. We are to watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. We might not always recognize these wolves at first. They are good at pulling the wool over our eyes. But Jesus says that we eventually can tell who these false false prophets are by the fruits of their lives, because rotten trees don't give good fruit. When people follow the path that Jesus has laid before us, loving their enemies and going the extra mile, their lives reveal the fruits of their efforts. Following Jesus's commandments yields good fruit. Third, Jesus knows that it's easier for a person to say that they believe in Jesus than it is to actually do the will of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying pretty clearly that the gate to get into the kingdom of heaven is narrow. Professing faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. Saying, Lord, Lord, like those on Palm Sunday, is not enough. Only those who do the will of God by following Jesus' commandments will enter. He says explicitly, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. We know what Jesus means by doing the will of the Father, because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has described it, and I paraphrased it briefly before. Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give to anyone who asks you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't worship money, don't worry, don't judge people, trust God, pray for God's kingdom to come and live as if God's reign is here now in everything Do for others as you would them do to you. And in this concluding portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that only people who do these things will enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
But how are we to understand what Jesus means by entering the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think we can understand this statement about the kingdom of heaven in two ways, one referring to the future and one relevant to the present time. Jesus is laying out the pathway to a kind of double salvation. In regards to the future, the Bible promises Christ will come again to usher in the full reign of God, referred to both as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, or, and also as a new heaven and a new earth, where, as it says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I find this vision of a future time quite comforting, and I hope we will all be there together someday. But maybe thinking about future salvation doesn't often feel super relevant to life on earth right now when the whole world is stressing out. We don't want to wait for things to get better at some unspecified later point. Well, following Jesus is not about working for some future reward. It is unquestionably about our lives right now. The Bible tells us that God's kingdom is not some far off time, but is paradoxically among us now. In Luke 17:21, Jesus tells people God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed. Nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is, don't you see? God's kingdom is already among you. When we live our lives according to God's will, when we practice the greater righteousness that Jesus demands in the Sermon on the Mount, we get glimpses of the kingdom of heaven during our mortal lifetimes. This is part of our salvation. One example of living with greater righteousness was described by theologian Timothy Keller in a 22 talk he gave. Keller tells this story. I knew a man who was the head of a set of car dealerships. The way in, things were, which, the way in which things were done was you could come in and negotiate, and the salesman had a pretty big window of what they could give you the car for. They would negotiate, and you would negotiate, and it was a lot of horse trading going on, except... There was car trading, I guess. The salesmen couldn't go lower than this, but they could get this high, and so it was a tradition. Somebody did some research and found out that men were always better negotiators with the salesmen than women, and white men and black men were better negotiators than African-American women. When somebody actually looked up what was going on, African-American women were regularly paying far more for their cars and were actually subsidizing the price of what white men who were paying for what white men were paying for cars in that particular town. They realized that even though nobody thought they were doing something, if the result was unjust and it was unjust, then even though there was nobody in there who originally said, let's do it this way because we will really hurt African-American women, but even so, they were hurting African-American women. There's two things you can do. 
On the one hand, you could say, because we're not deliberately trying to hurt African-American women, we make better profits this way. We have no responsibility. Or we could pursue justice for all people and take a deeper look at the system. The owner, a Christian man, ultimately decided he did have responsibility to change the system. Ultimately, he changed the entire way he sold cars, beginning by creating a set price with no haggling allowed. The owner, who was a Christian, said we have a responsibility, and he changed the model. He changed the whole approach. His own profits went down for a bit, but he says it's the only way to be just. Keller asks, after telling this story, do you have the eyes to see that kind of thing? If you do see them, do you take responsibility? This illustration reminds us that while it is easy to walk through the wide, profitable, and popular gate of inaction and say, I'm not doing anything hateful, the narrow gate of Jesus requires us to proactively do unto others as we would have them do to us, even at personal cost. But when we live with courage in accordance with these principles, like the car dealer in the story within his own little sphere of influence, we move a little closer to living like the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now. Salvation isn't just about what happens after death. It's about what happens right now when our hearts, lives, and relationships are changed when we follow Jesus Christ. Let us now briefly return to Palm Sunday. I wonder if Jesus had his own words from the Sermon on the Mount on his mind when he rode through the wide gates of the city. There were throngs of people calling to him as Lord, Lord, Savior and King. Yet how many people in the crowd would soon turn on him and scream, Crucify him! Even his own disciples would betray him, abandon him, and deny him. Jesus went on the hardest path of all to lay down his life for his friends. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows he has given us a difficult task to live in accordance with God's will. And Jesus has gone before us to show us the way. He knows we will stumble and fall as we follow him, like the disciples did before us. Yet, in his grace, he loves us anyway, and has forgiven us already. Thanks be to God. Amen.